Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks guys, talk to you soon. Welcome back to the show. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know. If you agree, then keep listening for tips on how to cultivate meaningful connections the right way. If you disagree, then tune in anyway to let me prove you wrong with my journey. My name is Travis Chapel, and this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey there, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Just want to say thank you to every single person that is out there right now listening to the show. I really, really appreciate the support and I appreciate the fact that you are tuning in and learning from some of the amazing, amazing guests that we get here on the show. This episode is going to be a really important one for me because we have never tried this format before on the show. So I told you guys on Tuesday that we're going to be testing out a few different segments this week. So your feedback will be much, much appreciated. Um, So today we are going to be having a badass women in business episode, and this is going to be part one. So we're going to be featuring six badass women that are in business that have been on the show in the past. And uh, so without any further ado, here they are. This is Lori Harder, and Lori's going to come on and talk about overcoming limiting beliefs. Um, If you don't know Lori, she is the author of the book, A Tribe Called Bliss. She puts on an amazing event every year, has a wonderful podcast herself. Then we have Molly Bloom, who uh, is that the movie Molly's Game is actually made about her life. Jessica Chastain plays her in the movie, she she built one of the world's largest and highest stakes underground poker games for literally billionaires, hedge fund managers, A-list celebrities, athletes, you name it, they played in her game. And then we have Jill Stanton, who is an online marketer um, and founder of Screw the 9 to 5. So I'm sure that's going to resonate with some of you out there. Um, and then we're featuring Amy Porterfield, who is a legend in this space, used to do a bunch of marketing work for Tony Robbins, helped him bring a lot of his materials from the 
the in-person world to the online world. And uh, then we have Sonia Hatter, who is the co-founder of Thrive Make Money Matter, which is a large business event out here in Vegas, one of my go-tos of the year. And Sonia is just an incredible, incredible businesswoman and also an incredible mom, and you're going to love hearing from her. And then Felicia Romero, who has been in the fitness industry for a really long time now, owned different brick and mortars and gyms, and now she does a lot of online personal training. And she actually has her own awesome podcast called The Diet Dropout. And I actually had a hand in helping create that. So um, she was a coaching client of mine uh, that uh, went through my podcast coaching program and has now uh, been launched out in iTunes and her show has been rocking it. So there's six badass women in business, Lori Harder, Molly Bloom, Jill Stanton, Amy Porterfield, Sonia Hatter, and Felicia Romero. And I cannot wait to get into this content and release it to you guys. Uh, But first, really quickly, um, you guys know that this show is completely 100% for free. All the content that I put out here on Build Your Network, I give it away totally for free. The only thing that I ask in return is that you head over to iTunes really quickly open up your Apple Podcasts app, subscribe, and leave a quick rating and review. It not only helps me have some feedback of what you're thinking about the show, but it also helps me with Apple's algorithm. So it would mean the world to me if you would just take 30 seconds and uh, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a quick rating and review for the show. And then also, really quickly, uh, for those of you who are interested in connecting with people in person, not just online, but in person. I am putting on my first, my very first live event out here in November, uh, November 8th through 10th. It's going to be at Topgolf in, uh, in, in the MGM in Las Vegas. And uh, we're going to have some amazing, incredible speakers, and it's going to be a completely different event. We're focusing on connection over content, which means a lot of the speakers will actually be in and around the entire group for the whole weekend, spending time with each and every one of you guys. It's going to be a completely different type of event. So if that sounds like anything you'd be interested in, please, please, please be sure to head over to buildyournetworklive.com. That's buildyournetworklive.com. Or if you just wanted a short version, that's bynlive.com. And uh, check it out. I promise you that I'm going to over deliver on value at this event. It's my very first one and I want you guys to come back next year. So (laughs) there's a huge, huge reason for me to over deliver on this. And I promise you that I will. So bynlive.com. I will see you out here in Vegas in November. And now without any further ado, here is the Badass Women in Business, part number one, featuring Lori Harder, Molly Bloom, Jill Stanton, Amy Porterfield, Sonia Hatter, and Felicia Romero. I think that a lot of people that sit out there and maybe listen you know, to your show, and of there's six million of them, so um, there, there's quite a few people sitting out there that listen to the show and that see you speak on stage and, and do all these different things and, um, and be on the cover of magazines, and then they think, oh, there's just no way that I can do that. That's Lori. That's Lori's, that's Lori's thing. She can do mm-hmm. those kinds of things. So it's so refreshing to talk to people that are in your position that you're in now and uh, realize that they started off with the same exact thoughts that every other person starts off with. How did you overcome those thoughts when you first um, when you first got started, Lori? Mm, I mean, it's been it's been a long journey. And, you know, a lot of those things came. I, I love to share that a lot of my success came way later in my career. Um, so if you're starting out later, perfect. And, and, you know, there's so many people who I know who are starting out even later. And I, I think that's amazing because it's all divine timing and you have to trust that because if you don't trust that, that's where you're going to get stuck anyway. Um, it's just another limiting belief is that it's too late. It's never too late. Um, but for me, this has been years in the making. And I really think that, 
there was just a pain point of staying the same that started to hurt so much more than finally starting to confront some of my fears. And my main fear that I had to first overcome, um, I mean, there was a lot of beliefs I had to overcome of being worthy and self-worth and things like that. But for me, fear was a big one that held me back. Um, fear of judgment, fear of just not being able to do it, fear of having panic attacks. So for me, I had to um, first really work through uh, my anxiety and mm. panic attacks. So that was really, really big because that kept me from getting on a stage. It kept me from speaking in front of people. It even kept me from going out socially sometimes because mm. I just, any center of attention for me would cause like, uh, honestly would cause a panic attack. So for me, that was huge. And I really did not start to overcome that until I started confronting my fears started doing fitness competitions, started saying yes to the things that I wanted with my fear. And just knowing that it, I just got to a point of knowing that no matter what happened, even if it meant passing out on the stage, it was still better for me to go and try it than to live with this like disappointment of betraying myself, of knowing who I was hmm. and not showing up as who I was put on this planet to be. So I was willing to now face the pain of like maybe massive humiliation over the pain of this horrible, like knowing that you're meant for more and settling and not doing it. So ultimately the, ultimately the fear of, I don't know, maybe regret. I don't know if that's the right way of saying that, but the fear mm -hmm. of regret is kind of what took over the fear of failure. Is that, mm -hmm. would that, would that make sense? To, I don't know if that makes sense. Yes, said, but, <laughs> yeah. it totally does. You know, I've always had this like innate gift that I think that we can all tap into actually. I think we all have it. Um, maybe you'll call it a gift, maybe you won't, but I really think it's valuable for your life is being able to really fast forward to the end of my life or to 10 years down the road and use that as a tool to see where you're at if you do not make changes and if you're going to be okay who's around you who's still with you uh what job are you at what does your actual day-to-day -day look like what are you feeling like in the middle of the day what are you feeling like when you put your head um on your pillow at night and like if you can let yourself go there like on a daily basis of am I going to be okay if I don't do these things? Like, am I going to be okay at the end of my life if I don't do these? I think the people who, um, it, you know, ignore what they want to do are the people who also ignore the fact that we're not going to live forever hmm. and that it is only, we, we don't get, we don't just stay the same. You're either always getting better or you're going backwards. So if you are not taking action right now to move towards the person, you know, you are, you are moving backwards and your 10-year plan is going to be worse than where you're at now. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented 
with quality candidates, like, like, like hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is, is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Oh man, gaining clarity is such an important task. And I, I feel that so many people just neglect doing it. I don't know if it's just from a, a standpoint of they don't know that they should be doing it or it's just they don't want to take the time. But um, man, that's something I've really been trying to put into practice in my own life, Lori. And I'm glad that you brought that up because um, gaining clarity has brought so much. Mm. Um, uh, gaining clarity on my long term has allowed me to gain clarity on my short term. Um, what do I need to do today in order to make sure that in five years from now, I'm where I want to be? I'm where I see myself. And if you're not doing doing that on a, on a, on a weekly, monthly, yearly, whatever kind of a basis, then, uh, the, the way I liken it, uh, the, the, the picture that I like to paint Lori is you're just kind of like a, a boat that's just kind of floating in the ocean and you're hoping that you're going to end up at your destination. But unless you make yourself head in that direction, then the odds of it happening are literally none because mm -hmm. you haven't ever put that direction in place. And so if you don't know where you're going, then how do you know how to get there? And, um, man, I think that's such an important piece of information for people to start to digest. So let's go back practically here, Lori, and talk about the beginning of all of this. So where, where did you first initially start seems, seeing some success in your life? Mm, initially started seeing success. Uh, depends on what you call success because at first I was just happy that I was starting to do small things like, um, like becoming a personal trainer Okay. okay. <laughs> because that in the beginning was like, I just had massive self-worth issues because I was, um, raised in a really restrictive, uh, religion where I couldn't associate with anyone outside of the religion. Okay. Um, and also, I was homeschooled through high school, so I had these massive, you know, these limiting beliefs around not being smart enough, not being good enough. I just complete um, imposter syndrome at all times. So yeah. to me, even becoming a personal trainer, I was like, oh my God, I just know my first clients are going to be like doctors and they're going to be like, who do you think you are? And you don't know what you're talking about. This was a legit belief of mine. I was yeah, like, I just yeah. know I'm going to train doctors and they're going to call me out so I can't start. And that's right. what was stopping me. And I'm like, who cares? Like, you know how to train people and you know how to get results and you right. can fix any mistake that happens along the way. And awesome. If you have a doctor, how about you ask them questions? Like, yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> right, you know, right. it's all of these things though that's, that stop us. We create this story about what's going to happen. We project it and then that's the end all. So yeah. that was huge for me. Just even starting to confront those fears, becoming a personal trainer, starting, um, you know, then opening my own studio because it's like the same set of beliefs 
follow us everywhere. So that same idea that I'm not good enough, I'm, I'm not smart enough is the same idea that just crept in, you know, last week before I spoke in front of, or, or a few weeks ago before I spoke in front of 10,000 people. Like, mm-hmm. It's not that they ever go away because sometimes they can feel like they're gone, but then they just rear their ugly heads and they're bigger than ever. But then you also, your tools are bigger than ever. Like you've also learned how to move through these things. So for me in the beginning, that's really what success looked like was starting to overcome one fear and one limiting belief at a time um, and gaining all of these tools. So, so timeline here, how long ago was that, that you first became a personal trainer? Uh, I think I was 20. Um, so I got certified actually when I was like 22 or 23, but never did anything about it until I was like 26. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Got it. So you're 26 years old, you start personal training and then how long until you open up the studio? Um, about, let's see, I think two or three years. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then at that point, like, where were you in your, in your thought process of like, there's gotta be something bigger at that point. Cause obviously when you, when you open up your own studio and, and you're, and you're training all these different people that, that, uh, that had to have been a really good feeling to get to that point. So when you were at that point, you were like, oh man, I, there, I, there's gotta be something even bigger than this. How, what, what was that mindset? You know, it's funny because it, from the start of that, so I think all of us know there's something really big. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think that we're obviously always setting up these little markers of like getting to that bigger thing. So for me, training was just a part of it. Opening the studio was just a part of it. Um, but when I was doing the studio, I did think that that might've been kind of the ultimate was growing this studio, right? I was like, okay, well, what do you do now that you have a studio? Okay, well, maybe you get a bigger space and then maybe you franchise the spaces and maybe you grow that. And I realized really quickly for me, my answer was not to do that because I was in there, I was working with these women. Um, and every single day it's like, I'd be training these women and putting them through workouts and telling them how to eat, but none of it ever mattered if we didn't change their beliefs. So right away for me, I was seeing myself in all of them, um, and really recognizing, wow, I could really just kind of stop training them. Like I had women that would come in and be like, could we not train today? And can we just talk? And I was like, no, we can't do that, but I'll talk to you while we train. Right. Maybe some other time. Yeah. I was like, (laughs) okay. So I could start to, I started to see that I had a gift of giving them the space and moving them through kind of these limiting beliefs. And for them, that was paying off more than the training was because they were getting more results through just kind of learning how to move through the rest of their life and not rely so much on training and food to change their life or think that they needed this image to be who they wanted to be. So I was like, wait a minute, there is something here. Like my programs need this mindset piece. And when I started to incorporate this and really work on this myself, because I was finding if I wasn't working on me, I could only take them so far. I could only take them to where I was at. So I had to, you know, not only be growing myself, um, and investing in myself, but this is what I would need in order to help grow them. So that really, for me became this moment of wait a minute, this is, I am enjoying this way more than even the physical training part or teaching about food. Like I'm actually not that interested in that. I think it's a foundational piece, but I am way more interested in the mindset piece because none of this even works nor does it have anywhere to like sit if you don't have uh, the mental piece. So that's when I started to just want to dive into personal development. And I thought, what can I do from here? Wow. I can really, you know, create an event. I could take this online. I could write a book. I could do all these other things. So that's where I realized this other 
this other thing. And at the time that was not popular. Like who was I to think that I could just be this fitness person and become a personal development person. Like I, then this belief around, I need a license. I need to be a psychologist. I need to do this. So I tried to stop myself again. And then I was like, wait a minute, I have like these massive life results from doing nothing to creating all of this stuff. Like, how am I doing this? This is just practical tools that I'm using. I could teach practical tools. Right. Um, so that's really when I started to switch gears. Got it. Got it. So, so at along this whole timeline here, Lori, where where did you and Chris meet, and then how did Isogenics play into this whole picture? So Chris and I met at a gym uh, when I was twenty one, and um, I was not into it because I was I was still in love with someone else, and I had just moved home after being on my own for like three years. And I got myself into um, some serious debt in a bad situation with really bad roommates um, who were making keys for all of their friends, not paying rent anymore. So I was paying the rent um, the last few months. And I was like, I've got called my dad. I was like, hey, I, I need to come home. I need to make some money. I need to get out of this situation that's going on here. He didn't tell my mom what was going on, basically, because, you know, be, having a religious background, my mom still thought that it was all, everything was all good and, and things were not happening outside of that, um, <laughs> that right. were not, mm-hmm. you know, in line with, with that, uh, with the religion. So he's like, okay, just come home. You can work with me. So he does kitchens and bathrooms. And I had worked with him uh, before when I was a teenager And so I went back to installing kitchens and bathrooms with my dad Hmm. and I was going to just pay, like I was going to save money, um, pay rent in my other apartment while I lived with my parents and also save money, but just to be out of the situation. So I was not a happy camper. Like I moved from, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) um, I was very unhappy. Like, you know, I went back to having a nine o'clock curfew, having to act like I was somebody else because, you know, I just, the beliefs were completely different at this point. Mm-hmm. And, um, I met Chris at the gym and did not have plans to stay in green Bay, Wisconsin. I had moved from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is a much bigger city. And I thought that I just knew everything about the world after seeing this smaller <laughs> city in Wisconsin. And I, I, I meet him and he, unfortunately he was just a victim of really bad timing. Um, I had had, because it was a small town and they never see new girls there. I had had two other guys hit on me right before that. And I was like, <laughs> where am I? Like, this does not happen to me. Like this never <sighs> happens. So what is going on here? he was the third one in like 30 minutes and I was like that's it I can't like be at this gym so he comes up and he's like hi and I'm like hi (laughs) and I was like bye (laughs) so so he immediately thought I was rude because I just couldn't I was like I was in a bad place I just wanted to be there and work out and make money and I was like what is going on so anyhow that's how I met Chris and we ended up finally I see him at the gym over and over and I'm like this guy's really nice he seems like he's got great intention so I went up and introduced myself to him Um, we became friends we just started talking and and hanging out and being friends and he was this person that like I could just talk to and laugh with and I didn't have anyone there and it was it was this amazing relationship where when I didn't have this intention or these expectations it was like the first time in my life without any of those things it's incredible at what you can connect over. 
And he just had this brilliant, he was a brilliant business person and also just so, uh, so full of life and interested in life and interested in more than just even where we were at. Like he was a dreamer and I was a huge dreamer too. So we connected over that and we were probably friends for like six months and then it turned more into a romantic relationship. Wow. So (laughs) this is something, so you guys have been together for quite a long time then. Yeah. Uh, 16 years. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's a while. Okay. So, so I, I had Chris on the show. So for those of you listening, um, Chris uh, Harder was, I think episode number 44 of uh, build your network and he did a fantastic job and we had a great time on the show as well. And he was talking a little bit more about, um, what was going on in his life during all this time with the whole mortgage crisis and, and all that kind of stuff. And then, uh, you during all of this that, that he was going through started working. Um, so you were already doing personal training, I assume at that point, mm-hmm. and then you started working with Isogenics and then you brought him on. What was that whole timeline? How did that transition happen? Oh, when did that? So we're like, the thing about Chris and I is we, we struggle with timelines, timelines. So stay with me here. So let me see okay. how old I was. All right. <laughs> like some people are numbers people and he and I are like, I don't know. Was that three years ago? People are like, that was like six years ago, whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> so I think we found Isogenics when I was God, I want to say I was 28. Okay. Like, so I think it was like two, th- hold on, let me think, 2008, 2009. I think it was 2008. Um, so I had, he had lost his job. Mm-hmm. Um, I had had to start that studio. Mm-hmm. I was, I wanted to be a, like a fitness celebrity, a fitness mentor, like a fitness icon. Like that was the big goal. Okay. And I was training in, I had started that private studio. I was training down there. And one of my clients, um, knew that this was my, my dream. And I also was at this point where I was really struggling with fitness competitions. I had competed for, I think about four years at this point, And I, I had placed really well in the beginning and then it just went downhill because I got really extreme with the diet. And, um, with that, with the extreme dieting, I ended up, um, also putting on weight and my body was just like shutting down. And I'd gone to a competition where I, it was kind of like this moment from my coaches of like, you need to do really well here. Like, it's just, you know, your time. And I ended up doing terrible. Like I almost placed in the last, like, it was like 50 something place going from like placing in, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth to like 50th place. And I just was miserable. I felt awful. My body was like massive backlash. It was not responding. I didn't feel good. My hormones were totally out of whack. And I came home and I had shared with this client who I became close to, like, I just, I, I don't think this is it. I'm miserable. I'm depressed. I think I'm going to be done like competing. I, I feel like a hypocrite, like mm. trying to tell people how to live their life. And I'm over here wrecking my soul and my body. And she's like, okay, I, you know, you know that I use this product, like you should just give it a try. I think it'd be huge for you. I think that it could really help reset you. And she told me about it for like six months, but it wasn't until I hit rock bottom that I was open to it. Hmm. So I started using it and I'm not kidding you. Like three days later, um, I, I felt like a completely different person because number one, my body was getting totally different nutrition. Number two, it was actually getting nutrition. I wasn't eating the same damn thing over and over and over again. Right, right. I mean, you guys, at this point I was eating like chicken and mustard and like plain broccoli, like every single meal. And then I was binging on the weekends. So hmm. 
that's not working. That's an eating disorder. Um, (laughs) so I had, I had to break the cycle. Like I completely had to break the cycle and find something that actually fueled me for a while until I could reset mentally too. And what happened from there was I had a massive transformation emotionally when you can change someone's emotions, like, and make them feel happy or feel energetic. You have just completely rocked your world with something. So this was in grit. This was like, so, um, this was such a pivotal moment in my life. Like it, I can honestly say that this was a moment where I felt like my life had shifted and like I had saved my life, Mm -hmm. um, or something saved my life from where I was going. And for me, that was it. I was like, everybody needs to know about this. I know so many people struggling with their food, with, with, um, not getting the nutrients that they need with not, um, getting all the vitamins that they need. So for me, I just declared it. It was like, I have to tell everybody about this. And that was a little bit down the road after actually winning. Um, I won three world championships in a matter of a year and I wasn't really sharing much about isogenics yet because, um, the coach that I was working with at the time was like, no supplementation. Like you have to be all natural. So I was like freaking out because I was pretty impressionable. And I was like, I don't want to wreck this relationship. Mm -hmm. And the industry was like not into network marketing at the time you wanted to be paid by all these other products. And I thought that my career would be ruined if I did network marketing, because that was really kind of what was being said without being said. Does that make sense? Like it was like, an unspoken, like if you sell your soul out to network marketing, like you're not going to get ahead in this career. So I was like, I'm definitely not doing that. And then finally I thought I am waiting for someone to validate me and tell me that I am good enough. And I had this moment of, I could like just create my own business. Just do that myself. Yeah, exactly. Yes. But there was a lot of backlash in the beginning. And I just thought, stay, stay true to what worked for you. Like, this was my truth. It changed my life. And what I was doing was not working. Yeah. And you know what? Even my career, I was maxed out. Like I was trading time for money and I was maxed out and I had big visions and they were pulling me and where I was and what I was doing was not going to cut it. So you got to look at your life really close. And I had to look at my life really close in this moment of what's my life going to look like in five years if I keep banging my head against the wall? Right. Like I'm going to have a massive headache and I'm not going to be anywhere except going backwards. So I thought I have to, I have to just go to a place where I have never gone before and have faith. Like I have to trust the people who are on the other side of this in this company and creating these businesses and all of these entrepreneurs who have gone before me who say, it's crazy. It's hard. You're going to, your relationships are about to get rocked. Your marriage might get rocked. Your life might get rocked, but you know what? You're, you're going to rock your own life anyway, if you don't do these things. So I had a massive, just, it's one of those burn the boats moments of right, right. got to be all in or you're all out. It's not going to move the needle. Let's go back to the beginning of all of this. So you are a young girl in a big city, um, coming from a small town in Colorado. Um, and, uh, you, you initially get into this first job where you work there for like two hours and then figure out very, very quickly that you do not want to work there anymore. (laughs) And, uh, so you literally just like walk outside and then this one just really rude guy just starts talking to you. This is one of my favorite parts of this whole story, Molly, because I find your relationship with, I mean, the person you, you, you call in the book, his name is Reardon. Um, I'm sure that's probably one of the people who didn't say his real name. Um, yeah. but, uh, in the book you refer to him as Reardon. 
and he's your first boss. And this is one of the more intriguing relationships to me in the story because um, without this one relationship, without you being open to this one opportunity, literally none of this would be able to happen, right? Um, But you didn't just like step in, you stepped in and took full control. And in a situation where most people probably wouldn't have dealt with this dude, like probably wouldn't have taken. And and if you if you're listening, just for some context, he's just it seemed like an insanely just very very a type personality, very rude, very like straight to the point, didn't care about feelings, like none of that kind of stuff. Um, and um, and one of the more more fascinating parts of this is that he threatens to take the game from you. So, so, um, you start, uh, collecting tips, right. And start making some money this way. And then, um, and then out of the blue, he's like, Hey, we've had a bad quarter basically. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to stop paying you as my assistant because you make enough money at the game, but you still have to do all my assistant work. And you were like, Whoa, 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 whoa. That's not my fault that your business is suffering. I -hmm. need, you know, to get paid for the work that Mm -hmm. I'm doing plus the game. And then he basically gets really upset, takes the game from you. Walk us through the, the emotions at this point, because this is one of the more fascinating parts of this story is that at this point, most people would have been like well that was a fun ride i'm glad i got to meet leonardo dicaprio and ben affleck and toby mcguire and like all these other people i'm really i'm I'm stoked that i got to hang out with those people and listen to those conversations now what do i do but you didn't do that walk us through what that decision making process was um well i think as entrepreneurs or as human beings when we see something that resonates deeply with us we can't unsee it Hmm. and um i had I knew what I wanted to do with this game loosely and, and, and I wasn't going to walk away that easily. And I think, um, I think I knew that I was not a favorite to go up against the billionaire boys club, ask them to forego one of their own and to, to come with me mm-hmm. as 24 year old kid from a small town who didn't know really anything about the world. But, um, you know, in that six to eight months that I'd been in that room, I walked in there with the, the head, the goal to be the hardest working and the nicest person in the room and to always be thinking about how to confer more value, how to upgrade the experience. And it, and it, and it had made an impact, hmm. you know, and, and, and I was pot committed in, in a way, like I was, I was already, you know, I had already, um, out spent a lot of time. And, and I think the biggest thing was I couldn't unsee it, you yeah, know, I yeah. knew how to turn it into a business. So whatever, like, if you fail, you fail. But the, the true failure there is to not, to not give it a shot, even if you're not a favorite in your own mind. Cause you don't know, you know, right. It was the thing that like when everyone in, you know, in Hollywood said, Aaron's never going to want to meet with you and even laughed me out of their office. You're like, but what if he does? Right. 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 What's the worst case scenario? You know what I mean? The worst case scenario, like for, you know, like check your ego at the door and like take a chance. Right. right? And, and, and the only thing that like, that you have to fear if you fail is just whether or not you can handle it. And like, mm. we all can. So, right. so I was just like, you know, I'm just going to, and I was loyal to him, even to my boss, even, you know, he'd brought me into this thing. And so even when he told me, you're just going to work for the tips of the game and work for me all day, I did it. You know, hmm. like I did it. I showed up. I, I was loyal. And then he started getting even more freaked out and took the game away from me. And then I was like, okay, well, you know, my, he pushed me too far. So, so I had aligned myself with the right people and I just decided to start my own game and told the guys, you can keep playing here or you can come with me. Yeah. <laughs> Which is just 
so this is the part of the book where like my my heart starts beating faster because you built this whole persona around um around reardon uh the character who in the book your boss and um and you're just like you're 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 reading this and you're just like oh my gosh she like something's about to go down because this dude is not going to take this and uh so so if you're listening basically he says you can no longer run the game it's it's mine you can't do it and there goes your tips and your tips were you know obviously pretty good at the time when you're when you're at a game with that many powerful people yeah i was making six figures for sure yeah yeah um and just and in that one night a week or whatever it was in just tips yeah so um so he takes away basically all of your income and then says you can no longer do this and then you basically are like all right well i'm actually going to do my own game and i'll invite all the same people and it's just like hey look you can keep going in that guy's game or you can stay here and they're all like actually we like you so we'll stay here you made the experience better you went and got like a a nice hotel room and and uh made it made it a little bit more fancy and and made them feel a little bit more special um instead of just like the back room of some club in in hollywood that's like dirty and it might have some history like the one that you're playing at but it also was not super nice to be playing at so you made the experience way better took all of them with you so this is the part of the book where i'm like oh my gosh reardon's about to do something crazy right now and this is what i love this is why i like this relationship so much he basically goes Actually, that's respect, Molly. <laughs> like, yeah. w- walk me through that roller coaster of emotions because I'm sure you had to be thinking that like he's gonna he's gonna flip a lid, like he's gonna go crazy on me. What were you thinking during that time? And then what was your reaction when he was like, actually, you know what? Like, I'm glad that you did what you did. Like, you you show like you, you you've graduated basically. You know. <laughs> well, I, first of all, Reardon's a bully. You know, and what do we know about bullies? Like, yeah. they bully you until you stand up to them. Right. Um, but he called me the day after the morning after I did the game. Cause he'd heard about it and he goes, get over here. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I went over there and I'm like, he's, he, maybe he's going to kill me. I'm not really sure what he's going to do. Yeah. You know, I like, um, cause he scared the, the crap out of me. He was a scary person. Yeah. Um, and I went over there and he made me go sit in his guest house, like in the back, this like unfinished guest house. And I'm like, <laughs> this is a murder room yeah this is i mean how many times did you tell me like if i killed you no one would miss you like so many times you oh know? my gosh and, um and he came back and he was like just stared at me and he was like i'm proud of you I'm like what that is so funny to me when i i, I was yeah. just i was mind blown when i read that and this is one part that they don't really go it. over in the movie um that is really really interesting in the book um and uh i wanted i wanted to see like what that felt because you're like literally thinking like i could possibly I, I might get killed right now. <laughs> and then yeah. it comes and then it turns yeah. into this like big, like mentor mentee type relationship where he starts coming to the games that you're hosting and like all this stuff. Was that like, yeah. was that like a really surreal, super cool experience for you? It was a, it was a teaching moment for sure. It yeah. was a teaching moment that, um, in, in power dynamics, because there was not an atom in my body that thought that's how that, it, it, it would iron out, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't think I was going to get the game. I certainly didn't think Reardon was going to give me his blessing. Mm-hmm. Like it was a huge testament to prepared, you know, getting really prepared and and sort of coming from the right intentional mindset. Mm-hmm. In that, like you put in your time, you're loyal, whatever. And then when you're at that place where it's time for you to grow, taking that big risk, taking that jump, and yeah. and the way that that things you know fall into place. Um. You know, I had to go pretty, I had to move the center of gravity inside and just 
reconcile everything with myself. And when I did that and walked into that, you know, that risk and that fear, um, it was a pretty powerful place to be. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So now you have the game, right? You're running it for a while and successfully. And then basically one of the A-list celebrities in the game decides that you're making too much money again. And uh, even though he was probably the one making out the most because he had rigged the game and all this other things with other players that he was staking. So all this other stuff is happening behind the scenes that you didn't even realizing at the time. And then uh, he basically takes the whole game from you. What, what was, just a roller coaster of emotions here. Can you walk us through that? And then again, this is what I love about your story is again, you, you know, most people would be like at this point, well, that was fun. You know, I, I learned a lot. I had some experiences. What do I do next? But instead you're like, you know what? They can have this game in LA. I'm going to move to New York and build an even bigger game. What, what was that like? Yeah. I mean, the, the fact that the game got taken from me was, was a heartbreaker. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I was, again, like, you know, you have that moment where you realize it and, like, your heart drops into your stomach and everything. Should... I think a lot of people, most people can relate to this. There are those times in life where everything changes in a moment. You lose what you think is everything, you know, mm -hmm. or, or it changes so dramatically. And all of a sudden, like, you're you're thinking, how can I ever be okay again? And, and something happens to me in those times where you know, I spend a minute in it and then I'm just like, I get fueled by this, this fury, you know, this, mm -hmm. uh, this fury of injustice or, or this like crazy determination that I, I refuse to fail. I refuse to go down like that. I, I won't go out like that. Mm -hmm. And it was 2008. And, um, if I would have crowdsourced this idea, people would have told me I was insane <laughs> because I wanted to go start a wall street game. And you remember what was happening in 2008. Wall street wasn't looking so healthy. Yeah. You know, it was, it was getting destroyed, mm -hmm. but I knew that there were people that were still doing well. And I believed that there was a direct correlation to traders, wall street guys and, and gambling. Mm -hmm. I believe a lot of it is, 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 you know, tied in to the, oh, like, yeah. yeah, huge risk, huge reward. Huge risk, type, yeah. and, and I believed that they even more than LA would treat those chips like monopoly money. Mm -hmm. And I believed in this thesis and, so I went and I ignored the fact that like, this is New York city and you don't know anything about New York city and you don't really know anybody on wall street and it's 2008 and everyone's getting crushed and whatever. And I just went and just put my, you know, just, just really got focused on it. And, you know, I brought what I learned from LA, both the wins and the losses, you know, I learned that the reason that people wanted to go to my, my game and not other people is as other people's were throwing poker games. I was, I was selling an experience. You know, I was mm -hmm. selling an experience. These people, from the time they walked into my game to the time they left, they were treated like James Bond. They were made to feel special, to be remembered. Um, everything was surreal. I kept surprising people with new players, new elements. You know, I, I was really tapped into selling this whole experience. Um, and so I brought that to, to New York. But this time, because I didn't want to be replaced, right? I didn't yeah. want to be able to just be, I was like, I'm going to bankroll it. I'm going to bankroll this whole operation. I'm going to be the bank. I'm going to extend the credit. I'm going to vet the players. They're going to owe me. I'm going to collect from them. Like that way I'm so tied in to right. this. You're no longer right? expendable. Yeah, that's right. So, um, so the New so, York, so the New York game, um, you start, you start with a buy-in number that you think is a reasonable buy-in number. And then you go, you know what? Screw that. Let's just five X that. Right. <laughs> well, another thing that I learned about, um, 
from LA is, you know, when I started my own game, I, I, I increased the stakes uh, 5x. Mm-hmm. Because the economics, when you're dealing with poker, or when you're dealing with gambling or whatever, it's part of the tra- it's part of the transformational experience. You've got to have the right number to keep people so engaged that they're that they're, you're going to not only increase the mythology of the game, but increase like their their heightened mindset. You know, mm-hmm. and I believe that guys that are sitting there, you know, moving the kind of numbers that they're moving, yeah. needed a bigger game. Mm-hmm. So, even though again. You know, people are like the sustainability of that. Wall Street's getting crushed. I believed in the intellect. I believed in my thesis. Okay. And I and I didn't let uh, you know the noise in. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it became the noise, but you know. So, so now, so now you're running a game. Minimum buy-in's a quarter million at this point, right? Right. Um, and, uh, so lots and obviously people going all in, buying in again, all in buying in again, what was like the biggest pot that you remember seeing on the table? Like as far as money at one time, you know, I don't remember the biggest pots that it was common for them to get up to 5 million. Very common. I saw someone lose a hundred million dollars in a night in one night in one night. Now I wasn't guaranteeing all hundred million of that. Okay. I was going to say, yeah, um, but I was guaranteeing, you know, a percentage of that, uh, of the you know the poker and then i was like if you guys want to go over that it's it's a deal between the two of you right like i'm not vouching for yeah even though i knew this guy was good for it like there's no point for me to do that right right um and a lot of people were like was it exciting i was sick to my stomach i was gonna say yeah yeah Yeah. so this is the this is about the time where you're you're really you're really riding that line of legality illegality because you at to this point and for those of you listening basically you're not allowed to take a rake on the game when you start taking rakes on the game is that that's when it crosses into being illegal but basically up to that point you're just getting tips which is totally legal Um, but now when you start seeing these giant pots on the table and realizing that you're having to guarantee a lot of these that's when it's like oh my gosh what do i do and um and, and you 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 describe it as a split second decision was it really like that split second where you're just like yep let's do it you know it wasn't split second it was um i i was also interested in scaling the game so i was i had expanded from higher stakes to lower stakes to to other versions of uh texas hold'em you know other poker games like plo and stud i had expanded to miami i was doing stuff in vegas like and i was a one-woman show so i it was not intelligent growth Let's just put it that way. And okay. and I was getting stiffed a lot because I couldn't allocate all my, you know, into, like resources to determining whether or not these were safe bets. So I, I had, you know, I'd just gotten stiffed 250000 a couple, you know, like some, re- I had just signed some really big checks that I'm covering. And I saw this, this just monster game and I knew some of my recruits I hadn't fully, you know, vetted. And so in that moment, I just looked at my dealer and gave her the hand signal. So the answer is it it was a, you know, it was a split. I didn't like discuss it, whatever, but I, it it had been weighing heavily on me Okay. and, and I was in fear. That's where it came from. I was in fear. So at any of this time were you just like, man, I am in over my head. What am I doing? Or was it like, let's keep, let's keep throwing some fuel on the fire. Let's like make this bigger. Both, you know? I don't know what I'm doing. This is crazy. All right, let's go bigger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a good combination. Yeah, um, yeah, it worked how, out really well for me. How much of this do you think stemmed from the way that you were raised, as far as like 
always being an active competitor, always going bigger, always being better, always like pushing and pushing and pushing the boundaries. How much do you think of that? Um, how, how much do you think that played into um, this poker game? I think that played huge into it. Um, but I also think another thing played huge into it. And that's something that I've, that I had to take a hard look at. I don't think up until this point I'd ever developed um, sort of a sense of worth that was that was complete or full enough on the inside. I was so searching for that outside hmm. to, to to establish who I was in the world, to feel good, to feel like a worthwhile person, to like self, my self-worth and my self-esteem was completely on the outside. Yeah. And that's why I would have, that's why I chased this thing at any cost. And literally at the end, the cost was life and liberty. And I chose this you know i I put it above everything so so yeah i think the 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 good part of it you know the thing the good driving force was being an athlete and learning how to um to get comfortable with risk and, and being raised by a psychologist who taught me how to walk through fear and and that stuff and i think i i think the the blind spot i think you know the the handicap was um my lack of sort of establishing an, an inner worth and really okay. sourcing it from the outside. Yeah. And do you think that was partly to do because of, uh, because of the family that you were raising as far as your brothers, both being who they were at the time. And then you trying to keep up with that and trying to show things on the outside that made you feel like you were worth what they were worth. I think it was a predisposition to it, like just innately who I was. And then it was, um, and then it was exacerbated by, yeah, that dynamic. All right, guys, this episode is brought to you by Build Your Network Live. Yes, I sponsored my own show because that's what you can do when you run the show. And I gave myself a very good price, I might add. Um, but for real, though, uh, this, this is something that means a lot to me right now at the moment. And uh, I promise you it's going to be worth it. If you are someone who loves going to events to connect with people in person, then I'm super excited to announce that my first live event is happening out here in Las Vegas, November 8th through 10th. So to find out more info and to grab your tickets, head to bynlive.com. And if that's not enough, let me give you three huge differentiators that make this event the most unique event that you have ever attended. Number one, it is connection focused instead of content focused. So no nine hour lecture style content binges. There will still be amazing speakers and great content, but the main focus is going to be on connecting with everybody else that's there. Number two, it's going to be at a really unique venue. So this isn't going to be at another stuffy hotel conference room where you forget what time of day it is because there's no sunlight. Uh, we rented the entire first floor of Top Golf right by MGM on the Strip, and we are paying for everybody's lunches and golf times uh, there at Top Golf. So that's number two. Number three, there is an actual VIP experience. I don't know about you guys, but one of my biggest pet peeves is when events don't limit VIP tickets. Um, and then they make them way more expensive than a regular ticket. And then all you get is a notebook and maybe a better seat and a crappy stale hotel style chicken lunch. <laughs> so remember how I said that this event is the 8th through the 10th? Well, the 8th is going to be for VIPs only. That's right. General admission gets access to two jam-packed days and VIP gets a full 
extra day at an undisclosed secret awesome location in Vegas with guest speakers, workshops, and planned collaborative activities. This event will be worth buying the VIP ticket for, I promise you that. And there's only 30 VIP tickets available and there are only 10 left as of right now. So if you're listening to this, do not hesitate and make sure you head over to bynlive.com to grab your ticket today before the early bird pricing is gone. And I will see you out here in Vegas really, really soon. And now here is the rest of the show. Certain people have certain levels of risk tolerance, right? (laughs) Yeah, Some people are the type who are going to burn the boats and be like, screw it. I'm never going back. Right. And then they have a runway or whatever. I am much more of the mindset that if this works for you, it's likely an idea to, or likely a good idea to balance both, right? Time management for the win until you have replaced your income or at least gotten close to that. Hmm. So that way you're not under financial stress. You're not putting your family under risk. Like you, you aren't going to be sitting there stressed out, full of anxiety, making poor decisions because you're desperate for money, which I actually think is the worst way to start a business. Hmm. Um, especially because I'm all about the grow slow mentality. Like I hate this insane rhetoric online right now that is like, it all happens overnight. Yeah. I think it's so irresponsible and so misleading and it's just screwing with so many people. Yeah. Um, so I am much more of the mindset that if you can tough it out for a good year or two and build your business on the side of your job, that is likely the best way to go. That way you can work out the kinks, you know, cut your teeth with things like WordPress or website design or writing for the web, creating content, emailing your list, building an audience, AKA the most important part of this whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, That stuff all takes time. And when you sit there and you, you know, cut ties and go all in, which might be for some people, um, that can add a level of stress and pressure and urgency that you may not need straight out the gate. Like I would much rather build this shit on the weekends or at night or in the morning with little incremental pieces of time that are focused and dedicated so that I'm not making a huge disruption to my life that is going to make things way harder in the end. And I've, I have members inside Screw You who have built their wildly successful business businesses while still in their job. Like one of our members, Jason Brown, built his business up to nearly $500,000 a year before he quit. And I remember I kept saying to him like, JB, you can quit now, homie. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're <okay>. there. <laughs> yeah. But his whole mentality was like, I built this as a side gig. Like I don't ever want it to be this thing that takes over my life. So I wanted to get it to a point where it was fully functional as a side gig so that when I do quit, you know, I'm not this overworked, stressed out, strapped entrepreneur who doesn't have time for anything. And I I love the word irresponsible that you chose to use to describe a lot of the stuff on the, on the internet right now, because it's the perfect word for it. Um, and it's ridiculous. Like you said, like the thing is, I, I, I think people don't take their influence as seriously as they should and they throw out stupid advice like that um that you don't realize that you're literally messing with somebody's entire future by telling them like quit your job immediately you'll get rich tomorrow just buy my course (laughs) you know i would love to just like have a drink with that person and be like why do you say that shit yeah like are (laughs) you that desperate for money right because well because they are because they usually the thing that i've found with those types of people is that like they haven't made any real money yet. 
Yeah. That's the smoke Ugh. and mirrors of online, which is one reason I still like door to door. I know mm-hmm. a lot of people fault me for that because they're like, just get online, man. Why are you doing door to door? But there's one thing that I really like about it is that it's very, very pure. Like there's like if you mm-hmm. can't do it, you can't do it. And like there's nobody faking making yeah. money going door to door. There's so many online fakers that are like, oh, if you buy this, you'll become rich, even though I haven't become rich yet. But uh, but if you buy this, that'll make me rich. And then I can teach others to rip off other people and then they'll be, it's just such a crazy, weird, like you said, irresponsible mindset. So I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad I asked that question because I, I wanted to see what, what typically your advice would be. Um, oh, to those Jesus. People. Don't um, even get me started. I will go on for forever about this <laughs> because it drives me nuts. I also think that people are becoming wise to it though. Like mm. that stuff, it's, I feel like it goes in phases, right? Like it was super popular in the beginning when online marketing was just a thing. Then it had a resurgence around the whole time of like John Reese and Frank Kern and like um, uh, Andy Jenkins and like uh, Mike Dilsame. And then those dudes went away and kind of calmed down and then it came back up again. You know, like we have these waves where there's a bit more like hypey kind of marketing. Like this is so easy, get rich quick. But people are becoming wise to that. Like everyone is smarter than that by now. Right. You know, it's just the yeah. the people preaching those messages need to be held accountable for the bullshit they're spewing. Do Do you think though that Do you think that you think that because you've been around the industry for so long? Because Because I've I've been thinking that myself recently. But then mm. I still see people that are doing that and getting people to buy into it on a daily basis. Do you think that it's because like because we're in this world? we don't see it as like, Maybe. you know, like people are wising up to it. Like that that's why we view it that way. Oh, people are wising up to it because there's no way you could possibly believe this anymore. But Maybe, been actually. around it for two or three or four years, you know, you've been four or five years or longer than that in the online space. I'm pretty relatively new. Um, but I'm, I mean, I wised up to it pretty quick um, just because when you get around people who are actually making money, you realize that there's a lot of people that aren't really making money. Yeah. Um, so, um, but, but that's, that's what I was thinking is, is cause I thought that too. I was like, I, I feel like people are just getting wise to it and there's not as many people biting anymore, but I think that might just be because I'm around it so much. So when somebody sees that first Ty Lopez ad in their Facebook feed, they buy into it like immediately because they've never seen something like that before. Do you, do you think that that might have something to do with it? So I, that's a great point. You're probably very right. Like maybe they just catch them before they come into our sphere, which is heavily saturated, right? Like maybe yeah. they're catching the people who are super green to this. Yeah. Um, that's a great point. Hmm. I, I just always assume people are smarter than that. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, um, I just think the best thing you can ask someone that you're thinking of hiring is like, what results have you gotten? Right. Right. You know, like I want to see actual tangible results if I'm going to hire a coach. Exactly. Exactly. Like there's so many people and I've been, I've been tricked by a couple of people in the past that have been like, Oh yeah, this is my income. And I just believe what they say. And then come to find out later. It's like, wait, I was taking advice from you and I was making more than you were the whole time I was taking advice from you. Why was I taking advice from you? This doesn't make any sense. I wish people, I wish it had to be a thing where you had to, um, someone else said this in my my free group and I was like, yes. But, uh, they said, I wish it was a thing for the whole income marketing where people are like, this is what I make per month. I wish you had to only were allowed to say your net income, you know, your net revenue. Like I wish that we would peel away the facade and actually talk about how much you 
ran in, Put in your pocket yeah. ads mm-hmm. or how much you pay your team or how much you pay for taxes. Right. That kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. Well, anyway, I'm sure we could talk about this for a long time, Jill, because it seems like we're both <laughs> like, on the same sure. page here. Um, but this is the Build Your Network podcast where we talk about how to go about building the right relationships and growing your inner circle um, of mm-hmm. people because it's so important And that Jim Rohn quote is often overused, but for a good reason, which is you're the average of the five, persons, uh, five people you spend the most time with. Um, so this is the question I usually ask to get things started in this direction. Um, and I ask almost every guest on the show. Do you believe that what you know or who you know is more important and why? Mm, I think who you know because they can help you build what you know. Mm. (laughs) Because if you are hanging with people who are where you want to be, you are going to learn so much from them just from watching what they do, listening, like participating in conversations. One of my favorite things James Webmore says, and he said this at our live event, Screw You Live, is he says, you don't need more courses. You just need to have more conversations with other entrepreneurs. Hmm. And it's so true because when you sit there and you have a really deep, heartfelt, honest, genuine conversation with another entrepreneur, you are always going to pick up gems, you know, like, Mm -hmm. unless you were just not paying attention, you're always going to see how they carry themselves or what their preferences are, or what they've been through or how they view failure or how they view money or how they view marketing. Like all of that will come out in conversations Mm -hmm. and that helps you build this knowledge base that allows you to do more. mm, What's the wording I'm looking for? Like, like try more things, but but more effectively, I don't even know the wording for that, but yeah. do you know what I'm trying to say? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they help shorten your learning curve. Right. Right. That's exactly what I tell people is that it, it, it shortens the runway when you would yeah. typically, it might, something might take you three to five years to learn. If you just go do it by yourself, if you just go hang out with a bunch of people who have already done it, it might only take you a year or a year and a half. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, and especially for me, I know this to be true, which is why I spend so much time building my network and trying to increase my inner circle is that I know that I don't have enough patience to sit on a 10-year runway, <laughs> you know what I mean? So like if I don't see some results soon, like I'm going to pack up and move on to the next thing. So meeting those people and rubbing shoulders with those kind of people um, always proves to be um, uh, helping me go in the right direction and go in the right direction a lot faster as well. Joe, can you tell us a story uh, about a connection in your life that led to a moment of success for you? Oh, had a few. Which one? Uh, I have some good buddies who are like I have some good friends in high places, but I'm trying to think of like which one led to a specific profitable outcome. Like, does it have to be money driven? No, or... no, not at all. Not at all. Oh, okay. I mean, the first one who comes to mind—it's a tie. It's a three-way tie. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> It would have to be, they're good buddies of mine is James Webmore, Amy Porterfield, and John Lee Dumas. And that trifecta right there, they're just so switched on and they've got so much integrity and the way they do things is all so different. That's what I love. Like James is super mindful and uh, is a great leader. Um, He is like really generous and giving and sincere in the way he runs his team, the way he builds his business, the things that he chooses to do. Amy is super switched on and strategic and fantastic when it comes to marketing and building an audience. 
I've never seen someone's audience who loves them more than hers. And John has this like militant work ethic. Like you will never find a dude with more focus than that guy. Yeah. Um, so I've learned so much from each, each of them that it's hard to equate one of them to a particular outcome because mm -hmm. I've taken away so many gems just over the course of the years that we've been friends. Yeah, it's yeah. so hard to attribute one to just like one specific outcome, but like I'm grateful for all of those relationships for different reasons. So let me ask you a super hypothetical question here. Then, mm. um, If you had never had any of those three relationships that you just talked about, how far behind do you think you would be in your business and your story and your career right now? Ooh. At least a good few years. I'd probably be doing, I'd probably be in the weeds a lot more than I am. Hmm. I'd probably be much more chaotic and messy behind the scenes because I've learned from them how to really finesse a team, how to be a good leader, how to be a manager of people, how to set boundaries yeah. which is something I really struggled with because um, I'm a stage five clinger inside our membership. So I always want to be knowing all the things. Um, <laughs> and for them, you know, they have really strong boundaries, all three of them. Like yeah. they aren't messing with the day-to-day -day operational in the trenches kind of tasks. So mm -hmm. if I hadn't learned that stuff or if I hadn't been given, quote unquote, the permission to kind of take a step back and focus on like leading the company in a certain direction. Mm -hmm. I think I still would have been making like maybe a hundred grand, a few, like maybe 200 because I would have been in the trenches doing the things versus focusing on finding people to fill those gaps, yeah. really setting boundaries, allowing for mental white space. Um, you know, just like protecting mm -hmm. myself yeah, and, yeah. And Josh and like what we want for our new little family we're cooking up. All of those little things have all come from insights and just conversations that I've had with those three. So with it being so important to get out and get to know people in your space, to build relationships, genuine actual relationships with people, why do you think that so many people just neglect to do it? Because mm, I think they go into, I don't think they neglect to do it. I think they do it wrong. <laughs> okay. Okay. I think people go in with a motive to get something out of the relationship. Yeah. And that is one thing I never went into. I never go into any relationship like that, but specifically with those three, I've actually never asked them for anything. Like I've never said, we should do a webinar together. Or we should do this together. I've never said that. Um, I've always prioritized the connection and the relationship first. And I know that that stuff pays off, yeah. you know, like James yeah. spoke at our event, at our event. Um, John and Kate are the speakers at our first retreat. Um, Amy and I have a great relationship and do each other's podcasts quite frequently. Like there are certain things that I quote unquote get out of it, but mm -hmm. I've never gone in with a motive to get something out of it. So I've, I've never taken more than I've given. I've always gone in with like, how can I give more than I take? How can I just be a real fucking human right. and behave like you normally do yeah. in an offline setting? I think that's where people get tripped up because they're like, okay, how can I make the most of this introduction? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can show up and start being human. <laughs> just be, be a real just person. Just be normal. Stop. Yeah, it's like, so funny, so funny you say that because I, I was actually just um, in Australia with John and Kate right after and before I think that you guys were. I know you guys spent a couple weeks out there um, and uh, I saw them 
um, in New Zealand one time, and then we spent a lot of time together in Brisbane at the uh, podcast conference. Are you the dude who hosted the meetup with them? Uh, or like no, in Auckland, no, no. are you in talking Auckland? about? No, 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 no. I was um I met up with them just for like a quick breakfast before they took off from oh. New Zealand to go to Australia. Um because uh, we were coming into New Zealand when they were going out of New Zealand. So we met up in it was in Auckland. It was in Auckland, but it wasn't like the big meetup for, for oh, okay. his audience though, if that's what you're talking about. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. And then you met up what you were there for We Are Podcast. For We Are Podcast, yeah, exactly. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, we and we I, left the day before that conference, unfortunately. Yeah, I know. I was looking forward to meeting you guys. And uh, and then they're like, oh, yeah, they just took off. I was like, oh, interesting. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Never I was so, <laughs> dude, I was so pregnant and so over the peopling. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. There's lots of peopling that goes on at events, too. Yeah. So you wouldn't have had I much just of a break. peopled for a month straight. I was like, good night. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so anyway, we were uh, at the event and, um, by this point, I know John and Kate pretty well. I spent some time mm-hmm. out at his, at his house and I've uh, worked a couple of events for him, um, selling his, uh, freedom mastery journals and stuff like that. And, um, oh. so I was just kind of hanging out with them and, and, uh, he invited over, uh, Jordan Harbinger was there and, mm-hmm. and Omar, uh, Zenholm and Nicole yep. were there. Um, I love it. Michael O'Neill, a couple other, a couple other people, um, in that circle and a bunch of people that I really wanted to get to know and hang out with. And obviously in podcasting, those are some of the biggest names that exist. Mm-hmm. And so, and me being a relatively new podcaster, I was like, well, this is going to be awesome. And it was funny when, after I hung out, after I was done with the conference, I came back home. Somebody asked me like, Hey, did you learn a lot while you were there? When, when you got to like hang out with those people and have lunch with them and dinner, did you like learn a lot? And I was like, honestly, I didn't really ask many questions about podcasting uh like now that i think about it i just kind of like you were saying i just was kind of hanging out just like being a person and just chilling and talking about life and and where you're from and what do you do and how'd you get no that's crazy and it's just it creates such an actual genuine deeper relationship with somebody when you just try to get to know them as a person instead of Mm -hmm. like hey so you're a big podcaster uh can i come on your show sometime how would you know i mean they get that so much, right? you know, right. like be different by not being that guy yeah. and you'll always stand out. Like how much do you think John get, gets asked for advice a oh lot? My goodness. Like I've seen people just fanboy out over him and yep. I'm just like, yep. you guys need to reel it in. Oh, oh like, trust me. I'm the one taking pictures. <laughs> I, when, I, when I've worked those events and he's like signing journals, I'm always like the guy like, here, can you take a picture real quick? Oh uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> so yeah, no, up? I completely understand. Yeah, exactly. Exactly what you're saying. And That's you know, crazy. what's crazy that. about this is that we're all just entrepreneurs, right? <laughs> like right. why is there this weird web celeb culture going on? Mm. Right. You know what I mean? They're just business owners. Yeah, exactly. They've just been in the game longer. It's this like weird fan culture going on right now. And so people lose their goddamn minds yeah. over meeting a fellow entrepreneur <laughs> yeah. when you could just really be a normal person and get so much more out of that relationship. Exactly. Because I tell you, when you go in and you treat them like they're not your peers, that like you... Oh, you're it, it starting changes off everything. at a disadvantage. You're start exactly, exactly yeah. what you said. So you're starting off at a disadvantage. Like there's no, like how do you come you back? Automati- from that? Exactly. Yeah, you automatically just put yourself in a subcategory in their brain yes. that says like, oh, you're oh, one of those fair. people. Like, yeah. like you're obviously, you obviously have a lot to learn. Type thing. Like you, you're, you're yes. just starting in a hole that you dug for yourself, 
instead of just coming across as exactly like you said, like a peer in, and the cool thing is like, once you build relationships with those kind of people and you offer a lot of value to them, like they're, like you said, they're normal, they're just normal people. So like, they're going (laughs) to treat you like a normal person and then they'll introduce you to other people Mm -hmm. that are normal people too, that you can then hang out with and have a normal relationship with. And Absolutely. Um, uh, I think the big thing is, Jill, is that everybody looks at it too short term. Would you agree with that? I'm so happy you said that because I was just about to interject and say, just play the long ball game. Hmm. Yeah. And then you came out and said it way more succinctly. So, yes, <laughs> I do think I do think people go in with motives and like, what can I get out of this? Hmm. How can this benefit me? Right and now, like, like not in that, five yeah. years from now, like, yeah, like, and that is I go home tomorrow with more money in my pocket because I met exactly. this person and shook their hands for the first time. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. that is where the true relationship building just freaking dies mm-hmm. because you're not actually going in to build a relationship. You're looking to take advantage of a situation yeah. and who wants to be friends with that? Right, right. Exactly. No one. That's who. <laughs> Do you believe that what you know or who you know is more important and why? Oh, okay. So I want to say, because I feel like it sounds better if I say it's about what you know. However, I know a lot of people that aren't incredibly smart in what they do, but they have these amazing connections and so they make it work. Hmm. So I, I just feel, here's what I believe. I believe it's who you know to a certain extent. But if you can't get it together and offer value once who you know gets you to where you want to go, then it's never going to work out. So you Exactly. Yeah. So you've got to bring something to the table. You have to offer value. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's easier when you know a few people that can help you open up some doors. <laughs> right. Well, and the cool thing though is like take your story for instance, right? Like you um, you offered value to each of these connections that we we're talking about, right? Yes. But you don't have to be like Richard Branson to offer value to somebody. I think people have this like <laughs> this this idea that like they have to have written like twelve books before they can offer. Like you don't have like you don't have to come with a million dollar deal to the table in order to connect with somebody. Like exactly what you did like working for Tony and being a liaison between Tony and Michael Stelzner and then helping him with a new site and then connecting with Lewis Hat, like all these things, like you were just adding value in micro ways until you were able to add value on a macro way. Um, But the thing is people always need value. Like people always need things done. So if you can figure out what that little thing is, like for me, well, for instance, I would not be on this phone call with you, um, Amy, if, if I were not friends with John Lee Dumas. Um, and the reason that I think I became friends with him is first of all, I paid for a mastermind that he put on, which helps when you pay for stuff that somebody has. Right. Um, but totally I also, agree. Yeah. But I also worked to cultivate a connection with him after that event was long done. So I have a background in door-to-door sales and retail sales. I've done a lot of different direct sales and, and um, different things like that. And uh, so I offered to run John's booth selling his Freedom and Mastery Journal for him totally for free at Podcast Movement. And then he asked me to do it for another event that he spoke at, Thrive, um, last year. And so during these times, I, I wasn't making any money. I took a step away from my business. I paid for myself to get out to these events just to do something completely for free for John Lee Dumas. Um, but in turn, like he's 
been a huge mentor to me. I have a consistent relationship with him. It wasn't now when he introduces it to me, me to people, it's not like, oh yeah, this is one guy he paid for a mastermind like a year ago. You know what I mean? It's like, oh yeah, this is my friend Travis and he runs the show. And, and you know what I mean? Like it's a completely yes. different relationship now because there was something that I saw that I could add value to. Like, who am I going to introduce John to? I, I didn't have, like he had all the connections that I wanted. Like he there was nobody that I could introduce him to. I didn't have a million dollar deal on the table to bring to it to be like, hey, let's connect. Like all I did was find something that he needed and I filled that void and helped gave a lot of my time to be able to cultivate that connection. Um, and I think that there's people that undervalue that. Would you agree with that? Oh, a million percent. I mean, I have such a similar story with Marie Forleo where I started in her mastermind as well. And I consider her a dear friend that I could text in a hot minute if I needed anything. And, and I think that people might think, oh, you paid for that friendship. Heck no, because there's a yeah. lot of people that paid to be in exactly. these people's yeah. masterminds that they never talk to anymore. Mm -hmm. But if, if you find a way to make it a genuine connection, and I think you've probably talked about this before, your heart just has to be in the right place. Yeah. It's never about making something happen for you. And if that truly is the case, magic happens. Yeah. Yeah. Being genuine. Um, I think that, I mean, this is a fundamental, uh, a fundamental principle to networking, I think is just being genuine and caring about people and, and taking like, I, I'm curious to hear how, what you think about this, Amy. Um, I, I don't think that there should be a difference between quote unquote networking and real relationship building. I think a lot of people separate those two things. They treat networking as like an opportunity to go make sales and bring in money for their business. And then they treat like hanging out with their friends at the bar down the street as like building relationships with their friends. Right. I don't think that the two are separate, you know? What yes. Do you say about that? I would totally agree. I think that if you actually treated all of that the same, you'd see some pretty cool things happen. I think it's all about that, those organic relationships that happen when your heart is in the right place for it. So I love that you make that distinction. Yeah. So what are, what are some ways, um, now we've been talking a lot about value, being genuine, all that kind of stuff. So what's a practical way that somebody sitting out here listening would be able to just start adding value to people? Like let, let's say they, you know, they suffer a lot from the imposter syndrome. They don't feel like they have a lot of value to bring to the table. What are some different ways that you think that they could start really trying to offer value to others? You know, I have a quick little example that keeps coming to mind when I think about somebody offering immense value. There's this guy out there. He's an Instagram expert. His name is Tyler McCall. And I would have never known who Tyler was, not because he's not a big deal, just because he would have probably have never made it into my world, like our worlds wouldn't have crossed so soon, except for the fact that he posted something about following maybe one of my podcasts or something that I had put out there and he gave me praise online and it was on Instagram. And I thought that was so very cool and I pay attention to that stuff and I thank him and whatnot. And then I kind of started to follow like, what is this guy all about? And so I started following on Instagram and he would put out great things and then we'd start to talk in the DMs. And over the last, let's say six months, I feel like Tyler is a really good friend of mine. I've invited him on my podcast. He is an up and comer in the sense that he hasn't been on the scene that long. However, he's making a big splash. And just today, he was posting some stuff on Instagram and I noticed he's on four other people's podcasts, big names, because he's sought after. And it all started with 
he looked for other people's content to give them a shout out on whatever social platform. And it was in a genuine way. Like he talked about, this is why I love Amy's podcast. This is why you should listen. And so little things like that go a long way with those that might be a little bit ahead of you, but genuinely appreciate the feedback. Yeah, totally. And uh, stuff like that's just so underrated. But also I would add to that, that um, if you do this, like if you're sitting out there and listening and you're like, hey, you know, I've done that before and they've never even like looked at it or gotten back to me. Realize that like someone like Amy, someone like John, like some, like some of these people that, that uh, have been on the show, like they have a lot of demands on their time. So if you do this and you don't get a response, don't take it personally. Um, just figure out another different way to be resourceful and get around that and add some more value. Um, but uh, look, eventually though, if you are constantly pushing forward somebody's content, they can't help but notice what you're doing for them. Um, if you're an evangelist for what they're doing, then they can't help but notice that eventually. Um, and uh, uh, it's, so, it's so funny when sometimes I'll have people reach out to me Amy and be like, I'm a big fan of your show. And they'll say something that makes me tell that they've never listened to anything yes. that I've ever put out there. Do you get that sometimes? Oh, I do. And it drives me nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it makes a big deal. And I'm going to say something that's going to make me sound a little bit like a jerk. So I hope you know it's coming from a good place. I also don't like when people reach out and say, hi, Amy, I'm a big fan. How can I support you? And I feel very awkward in those moments because I don't know. I'm not going to tell them how they can support me. I feel like that's an actual lazy way of making connections. And I know this makes me sound a little bit jerky. But my point being is that find your way of how you can support someone. Pay attention. Just like you said, really be a fan if you're going to say you're a fan and you'll find those little ways. But at the same time, you don't have to force it and a person of influence is likely not going to tell you how to support them. Yeah. And exactly what you said though, is that it's lazy. It's just a lazy yeah. way to try to do it. It's the, it's the numbers game approach. It's the like, I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to 50 influencers today. I'm going to ask them all how I can support. That's them. what it feels like to me. Yeah, and totally. so that's why and I'm not a big fan. Is. Yeah, totally. It's, it's just like, a, I know I'm supposed to lead with value because, you know, Amy knows, you know, Marie Forleo, like she just said. So if I reach out to her and ask her if I, how I can support her and then I do that, then I can ask her for a connection to Marie. Like to me, it just, when people ask <laughs> that, it feels like it, it comes with an attached like outcome that they're trying to get out of the situation. So right. It's lazy. And then the only reason to ask someone how you can support them is so that you're like adding value to them without expecting anything in return. But the question itself to me makes it seem like you're wanting something in return. <laughs> I appreciate you saying that. So I don't sound like so much of a jerk. I think that's what <laughs> it feels like to me. So, yeah. and it happens a lot. So that's why I thought, mm, maybe I should mention it here. Yeah. It's a good idea. It's a good idea. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you know, uh, do you know JP Sears? No, I don't know that name. Um, he's a, he's, he does a lot of comedy videos um, on YouTube and stuff. And he has like a, a spiritual um, health, like a spiritual and health coach business. Oh yes. I know exactly yeah. who you're talking about. Yes. Um, I had him on the show and I asked him, I asked him that question. I was like, what is the most annoying question that someone can ask you like at an event or something like that? What did he say? And he said exactly that. <laughs> he was Stop like, it. Yeah. He was like, I think the most annoying question is people that come to me and say, JP, how can I support you? Oh and, my gosh. I love it. I love the man even more now. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, and how do you answer that question? He goes, I say, you know, the way that you can support me best 
is to not ask me that question. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's funny. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny you start talking to a lot of people about this stuff because everybody's thinking it, but like you said, sometimes it's like difficult because you know that people are just trying to be people, right? And you don't want to like sound like a complete yes. jerk, but, but you also want to be like, okay, but you need to learn from this and not do it again because that's not how you're going to get a response. So we talked about a way to not reach out to you. Um, talked about a way to reach out to you online. What about in person? Like when if somebody comes up to you at an event and um, what, you know, what, what's a good way for them to get your attention and make a difference? You know, let's see here. So to get my attention and make a difference, I think what you said, it makes a big deal to me and that is a big deal to me. When somebody comes up to me and says, Amy, I love your podcast, especially the episode about XYZ. So they actually know my podcast and then they tell me what they did with it. I am obsessed with action takers. So when people share their stories, their small wins, their big wins, or even their struggles and what they're doing about it, and somehow it relates to something that they learned from me, it lights me up and I just, I want, I'm a sponge. I want to hear all about it. And typically we reach out to those people and we hear more about their story. And so when I'm at live events, I'm snapping people's name tags all the time because they have fun stories that I'd like to share with my other students to show them what's possible. And so sharing your stories, even if they're small wins, make a big deal to me or are a big deal to me. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. That that's the, I mean, just what you're saying, like researching the person that you want to connect with is such an important thing. Like knowing what you're getting yourself into by having a conversation with this person, like even if, like if somebody searched your name, right. And they see this episode come up, you're literally telling them right now, live, like not live, but on the air in a recording that they can listen to at any time that tells them exactly how to connect with you. But there's so many people who just like, don't, like actually consume your content. They just see that you're a speaker at an event and feel like they should know you because you're someone that's important. And then they come up and like spew a bunch of nonsense, take a bunch of your time and then, and then leave you like, what, what, who, yes. who was that? Like, how did that just happen? Like, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm an, I'm now an observer to these kinds of things since I've worked a few events with John and stuff and people come up to him and do this to him on like all the time. I'm just like, that was amazing. Like that was incredible that that guy spent his entire time standing there talking about what he's done and how cool he is when he had like John in front of him, he could have asked him. <laughs> and like actually it's interesting, huh? You know, I know. So Very weird. interesting. <laughs> it's so, weird. so give me, give me one thing, Amy, one, one tip that somebody could take and advise, like they're just tuning into this episode and they got to go do something right now. And if, if that's you, by the way, you should listen to the rest of this because there's so much great content from Amy here. But if they just are going to walk away with this one tip on how to become a better quote unquote networker, what would your tip be? Okay. So it's simple, but not everybody wants to do this. You have to get out there in real life and coming from an introvert that literally could easily be a shut in because I love to be at my home in Carlsbad. I believe you have to go out there. Now you can start with your local events, but I want you on a plane going to a really fun networking event, whether it be for marketing or anything in your field, you've got to make a thing of it because when you have skin in the game, when you spend a little money to make the travel work and, and get out there, you're going to be showing up. You're going to get the most out of it. And the biggest moments for me were when I traveled to networking events and I met people, I got my book deal. I mean, it was a dummies book, but I got a book deal from being out there and going to dinner when I didn't want to go out of my hotel room. 
the Lewis Howes incident was because I got out there. I didn't want to wrangle people for Mike Stelzner, but I knew that this was a great opportunity for me to step out from the computer and meet people. So I pushed myself and I do have to push myself to do those things, but that's my advice. So how much is too much? Like somebody's out there, they're like, man, I need to go do some more of this stuff. Because I know some people that are just like conference junkies, but they never actually like do anything with any of the stuff that they ever do. You know, I say and no I, more I, than I'm, once a quarter. Okay. So that's yeah. a perfect litmus test. If you're, um, um, if you're going to more than one thing per quarter. Now, this, if, if, if you're talking about one event per quarter, though, are you talking about like a big out of state, like marketing specific event or, you know, like really actually any event. So like if there's like a local meetup for, you know, real estate agents and you're a real estate agent, like you should take advantage of those opportunities. But like to go to the big conference in Dallas, when you live in Florida, you know, you should probably schedule, like keep that to like a little bit you know, staggered, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like two to four times a year in terms of networking, it gets expensive and you're yeah. right. One thing I don't do a lot is I don't go to a lot of events as much anymore. And the reason for that is they literally take me off my game when I'm working on a project and I'm moving forward with my team and I stop to get ready for an event, go to an event and come back and try to recuperate. I have probably missed a whole week, if not more of being productive in my business. So you have to remember, going out, there is a cost to that. Mm -hmm. And so there's this fine balance between all of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so what about a budget? Um, so if, if you're looking at this and you're like, okay, one event per quarter, but that's a lot of money still. <laughs> what, yes. what, what advice would, would you say like, Hey, look, you should stretch yourself because these things are that important or it's just like a, Hey, case by case basis. I say if money is tight, you do one or two a year, and then you look for some local events that you can go to, like networking, meetups, that kind of thing, um, because it does get really expensive. And I think that I probably spent too much in my early days thinking I needed to do it. I think I did it too much in the first two years. Yeah. And yeah, so I do believe that I wasn't doing the work enough and I was putting myself out there, but probably a little too much. So look, be mindful of the budget. And if it's stretching you a little bit too thin, pull back. I don't think you should be going into debt for this. Okay. That, that is exactly what I, I kind of wanted to hear because I know some people, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, they're literally thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 in debt just from events. Like, yeah, no way. Bro, you need to chill for a second. Like yes. come back, come back and do some work. <laughs> you know yes. I mean? And yes. Put some money in your bank account and then like take a second look at it next year. So what about mentorships or small group mastermind settings um, in regards to all of this? Should this be included in the three or four events a year in, in your marketing and in, in your networking budget? Um, are these separate things that are just based on like the phase that you're at in life? Have you personally invested in them? What, tell me what your thoughts Okay. So this is where I have a different take on it. If you are thinking about joining a mastermind and in these days, masterminds are even more popular than when I started and there's going to be a hefty price tag. So let's say it's a $25,000 a year mastermind. And if that's something that you want to do and you've done your research, you've talked to the leader, they are someone you would want to aspire to. These are all things you've got to think about. And you're, 
it's all yeses, then I think one, you pay in installments to make it easier for you. And two, you stretch yourself. And the reason I feel strongly about this is because that's exactly what I did when I joined Marie Forleo's mastermind way back in the day. It was $17,000 at the time. I did not have anywhere close to that. And every month I was scared. Oh my gosh, I hope I make enough money to pay for this. So I had so much skin in the game that I did everything Marie told me to do. I was like the best student because I needed this to work. And and I don't have a problem with that. I think that kind of hustles totally fine when you're just getting started. So that meant I went to less events around that time because I couldn't afford both, but it was definitely a stretch going to a networking event and joining a mastermind, totally different ballgame. Yeah. When you pay, you pay attention. So if you're sitting out there and you're wondering where you should put your money, I would highly recommend, it sounds like Amy would too, go do some research on some masterminds. You need to do some research though. Don't just go find somebody that you're like, hey, that's a famous person. Here's a bunch of money. Um, Make sure that it is applicable to something that you have going on currently. And make sure, like, like Amy said, hit the nail on the head with this, that it's somebody that you aspire to be. Don't pay somebody money to teach you how to do things that you don't even want to do or <laughs> like yes. don't even align with their message. You just know that they're, that they're famous, like just joining that person's mastermind just for the sake of like, well, I'm in that person's mastermind, even though like you can't even take any of the stuff that they tell you to do and you can't even cultivate that connection that much because you're not even like the same, per- like you're not even close to the being the same people. Like be smart about it because it is a lot of money, but I wholeheartedly agree that it's, especially when you're starting out, it's a great way to just really fast forward to to skip rungs on the ladder to shorten uh, that runway for yourself. This is uh, something I'm interested in hearing about from you, Sonia, because you and Cole have a crazy hectic life. Um, you have several businesses that you're running. You have a giant event that you have to put together. You have two beautiful daughters. You have family. You have friends. You have mastermind and all these different people that there's so many demands on your time. Wow. How do you best manage your time and how have you found uh, works best in terms of balancing all of that? So whenever I hear people so like, oh, buy my course and figure out how to do life and balance and blah, blah, blah. No, there's like no such thing. There really is not. And so I, I like when people are just real, like, hey, my life is super chaotic. And every morning I have a plan for the day and it never works out the way I want. Like I'll have kids sick from school. I have to go pick her up and that messes up nap. And then it messes up my conference call or a podcast. Like it's just, I'm always on my toes and I have basically a goal of my to-do list. And I always have like a big whiteboard that says everything I would like to accomplish in a week or a month. Like it's just, it's basically like my brain and it has all these little lines coming out of it. And it says everything that I have to do. And then I take a few of those and I put onto a different whiteboard, like what I would like to get done that day. Hmm. And so those are mostly the, the urgent things, but I've, I've, notice that with my balance in life, I just sacrifice certain, certain things. So I'll be like, okay, um, sorry to my husband. I've been working all day. I haven't played with the kids. So I'm going to hang out with you later tonight and I'm going to be with the kids right now. Or, you know, the business will sacrifice and I will be with him or it's laundry or this or that. But I've just learned I'm going to figure out 
what's a priority for me. And it won't be to go get my nails done or to get my hair done or to go shopping or go hang out with girlfriends. It'll be, Hey, I'd like to spend this extra time on working on the business. And sometimes people are like, Hey, you need to do more self care or, you know, worry more about yourself. Don't always try to take care of everybody, but it's like, I just do me and what makes me happy. And I think that's what the balance is. It's just like, at the end of the day, like, did I accomplish, did I get me time with my daughters, with my husband and with the business? And then I'm happy. And then if free time comes along, I'll go hang out and I'll go out for a girl's night. But it's like, those are far and few between, but I like it like that. And some people say, why are you always grinding? Why are you doing this? And it's like, I really enjoy it. Like I love having accomplishments and I love being able to say like this grew bigger or my numbers are better on this. And I just, I enjoy that. So it's not for everybody, but balance is just what makes you happy. Yeah. I love that you say it that way because I think that it's basically a phantom thing that doesn't exist myself. Um, and the only thing that I would add to that, and I'm sure that you agree with this because you and Cole embody this really well, um, is that you, there, there's going, it, there's never a time of perfect balance is always going to be imbalanced. Just whatever you're working on, make sure that that is the thing that gets your full attention. Mm -hmm. So if you are, are you, if you're in this work mode for a while, so, so for instance, for you guys, like gearing up before thrive, I'm sure that there is, there are long nights. There's a lot of work being put in right before the event. And I'm sure that at like during those times, your family just knows and understands like, Hey, you know, mom and dad might be, might not be available for a little, a little while because they're really working hard to get this thing out there. But as soon as that's done, I know that we're going to come back into the picture. And then any time that you do spend with the family is going to be spent with the family. It's not spent with the family with your mind over here and your phone right, right here. Quality it's spent, time for exactly. Sure. Right, right, right. And then, but then at the same time, when you're at work, cause I think people have this because society makes you feel bad for working too much. I think that people get this like weird guilt feeling anytime that they're at work and not with their kids. Like if they're in a big push, if they have a big launch coming up, a product launch or a, a, a big marketing push or an event that they're planning for and they're, using, they're spending all this time at work, they have this guilt thing in the back of their head that says like, oh, you're not allowed to spend this much time working. Your family needs you. And it's like, yeah. no, no, no. Whatever you're doing, focus on that and mm -hmm. be okay with the fact that like life is never going to be balanced. It's always just a period of pushing and another period of resting and a period of pushing, period of resting. And as long as you have that, and like you said, as long as that is what is making you happy, then there's no reason to, to like feel guilty for any, for either one, for neglecting right. your for a little bit to focus on work or ne neglecting your work a little bit to focus on family. It have both have to be there and you have to focus on whichever task that is at hand. Yeah. When we had our mastermind, we were busy for four days nonstop. I mean, everyone came to our house and our kids didn't really see this those four days. And, but they knew mommy and daddy are working right now. This is, this is what we have to, we're going to help all these people and we're going to do this and we're going to have fun. Mm -hmm. And then after that, Monday came, we went to Disneyland and no phones out. You know, we were just with the kids. And then the next day we went and did this and the next day. And so we didn't get, we didn't do business those days, but we made sure we worked really hard for that mastermind and after that we played hard with our kids and so they, they they remember the really good times and the phone was put away and it was real quality time I'd rather do that than do half business and then when I'm with them I'm on my phone doing emails and they're like hey what about me over here it's like I would rather just do everything at once and then go play mm -hmm. yep love it love it so one thing I really respect about you Sonia is 
all the things that you do in addition to the things that you have to do. And I think that that's, um, I think that's amazing because I know you don't have to do those things like the pageant that you just did, the, uh, fitness competition that you did. And, um, I just want to acknowledge you first of all, for take, for like going the extra mile and things like that, really challenging yourself, putting yourself out there. And, uh, I think that that takes a lot of confidence in yourself to be able to, to deliver on. And from what I know about you from a couple of the posts that I've seen, I don't think that was something that you always had that confidence in yourself. I don't think that's something that was, that was, came naturally to you. So can you talk about how, can, can you talk about the role that self-confidence plays in your ability to put your mind to something and be successful with it? Yeah, I actually didn't have the self-confidence, which was why I signed up for it. It's, I see all these other people that, you know, go on stage and they're so confident and I, I wanted that. And the only way that you can achieve something like that when you don't feel that is to just keep doing it over and over and over. So before just doing like a podcast, I would freak out. I'd be sweating around the house hours before. And I'm like looking at Cole, like, Oh my gosh, like, should I have like a glass of champagne to calm down? Like I'm freaking out. <laughs> and it's like now I've, I, I got out of my comfort zone and I'm consistent with it. So I keep doing it and now it's easier and easier. Hmm. So I I'm trying to see if I, you know, do a fitness competition and I worked really hard and I got first place. Let me throw that in there. Um, <laughs> you know, like by doing that, I, I feel like if I keep going, it's going to get easier and easier and easier till one day when I'm on the thrive stage, I'm not going to be reading and shaking and freaking out because I consistently did it. And the self-confidence has definitely grown. Um, nowhere where I'd like it to be, but I'm just going to keep going at it. And, and I just like to work hard. And so doing that fitness competition, you know, I, for 88 days I had to train and even the trainer said, you can't do this in 88 days. And I was like, yes, I can, because I, I, I have the mindset and I didn't break. I didn't have a sip of alcohol. I didn't have a bite of mac and cheese when I made it for the kids. You know, I stuck to my grilled chicken and broccoli and nine egg whites and everything I had to do because I knew what I wanted. It wasn't necessarily to win first place, but I just wanted to know that I gave it my all. And even with the beauty pageant, it was like, I knew things that I needed to study for and things that I needed to do. It's not just all about appearance. It was, you know, there's an interview and that's what I'm not good at. And that's why I put myself in that pageant because 50% is interview and I needed to see how well I would do. Hmm. And I got second runner up. So I, I'm proud of, even if I didn't get any awards, the fact that I got up on the stage is something that I would have never done even five years ago. So, I mean, for Thrive, I was just with Cole and he did the first year by himself and people couldn't get answers because he was running all over the place. And so I had a notepad and I kind of took notes from all these questions people were getting and I just kept helping him more and more. And then he's like, hey, here's more things I need done. And then people started coming to me and I just did all the logistics and I was behind the scenes. And then Cole kind of pushed me into the light and I was like, I can't be out here like... I felt like not worthy to be on stage to have people listen to me or learn from me. Um, I, I felt you had to be, you know, a doctor or you had to have been this or that and just don't say the words like and um, and I do that. I was like, I should not be up here. And now that I've, I've learned that those are things that people do like about me and now I'm just trying to embrace it and go from there. Yeah, I love that. I love that you said it was something that I didn't have any confidence in. So that's why I did it. <laughs> but like that's just adopting if you're listening to this right now just adopting that mindset 
by itself, if that's the only thing that you take away from this entire interview, that in and of itself is completely worth it because um, there's so many things that people don't do for because of the fear of embarrassment, not even necessarily the fear of failure. Like the the, the failure part is one piece, but it's the fact that other people are going to find out that you failed. So then they just neglect it altogether because it's like, I have zero confidence in this. I've never done it before. And if I do it and I fail, people are going to know about it and that's going to be embarrassing. And so they just don't do it and it's mind blowing. And so I love, and I, I, I love that mindset of, well, I didn't have any confidence in it. So I decided to do more of it. And like, that's, that's, that's what it comes down to though. The bottom line is that you built consistency and you, well, you practiced consistency and then you built credibility with yourself. Like you became a person that fulfills your own word to yourself, which does loads for your self-confidence. The number one way to build your self-confidence is to just to keep the promises that you make to yourself. So when you sat there and said for 88 days, I'm going to train for this fitness competition. I'm not going to eat the mac and cheese. I'm not going to you know do these things. I'm going to do my workouts, do everything that I'm supposed to do. And then you actually kept that promise to yourself. When you sit there and, and you're holding that first place trophy, and even if you didn't place, you know that you did something that was really difficult that most people aren't going to be able to do in their lives and that you did it start to finish and because you told yourself to do it. Not for any other reason, not because you had to, not because it's the way that you make money, not because you you support your family with that, but just because you told yourself you're going to do it, you went and did it. And that in and of itself is like the biggest confidence builder around. So um, I really, really appreciate you saying something about that. So I transitioned out of my brick and mortar. I've done brick and mortar for like the last 10 plus years and transferred over to now just doing all online coaching because I just wanted to reach more people nationwide. And that is what I'm most excited about right now. Love it. Love it. So let's talk about the brick and mortar thing um, because this is something that I've always like since I've gotten into business, I've always had this like aversion to a brick and mortar because I feel like it like ties me down somewhere. Talk to me about your experience with it. How did you like it? Did you enjoy it? And then what are some lessons that you've taken away from it? Absolutely. Yeah. So the brick and mortar, like for me, I always felt like, you know, to be an acknowledged trainer, I had to have my own gym. That's kind of the mindset I've always had, even in college when I went to Arizona state and I got my, my master's in exercise and wellness. And I'm like, okay, you know, this is what I need to do to be I guess, signified as a good trainer or an accredited trainer. And I just, for whatever reason, had that in my head. And it it was actually a dream of mine. You know, I wanted to see if I can do it. Um, And I did, you know, right out of college, um, I opened up my first gym, which was a tiny 1,500 square foot studio. Um, You know, I, I, I trained the owner of the complex, so he gave me a great deal. And, you know, it was it was small, but it totally fit my needs at that time and really allowed me to kind of dive into, you know, building a business and creating, um, you know, this, this system where, you know, I had equipment and, but it also made me aware of what I was really good at and what I wasn't good at. And so, you know, I, I wanted to grow and I wanted to build. And, and so I went on and opened up, you know, stopped that gym and opened up a second gym with a business partner, bigger gym, you know, went from like a 1500 square foot studio to now over 5,000 square foot. Oh, wow. And in that gym, it was all, 
uh, trainer base. So all one-on-one training, you know, there was no group training, nothing like that. It was all one-on-one. We had, you know, trainers that either worked on commission or worked or paid rent and they would bring in people. We would give them, you know, leads and things like that. But it was really just that one-on-one training mentality, um, which was great. But, you know, I built that, uh, gym with my business partner at the time, basically around the time when I was competing. So it was very like, competitor mindset. It was a competitor gym. It still is. Um, I'm no longer with that gym, but it's still very competitor minded. And for me, after I transitioned out of the competition world, and I'll preface this, that I competed in the IFBB for about nine years um, as a figure competitor, um, I really got out of that that lifestyle and that mindset and it no longer suited me. I wasn't passionate about it. I didn't, I wasn't passionate about the extremes of it just because I, it, it sort of led to many health issues that I had over the years. So, you know, I really wanted to transition out of that. And again, I just, I wasn't passionate about it. And I saw a way, like I couldn't train people for the rest of my life. Right. I, it was like, I was trading my time for money and like, how could I get out of that? So I, I sold my portion of that gym and, you know, kind of sat for a year traveling and, um, really trying to figure out what it is that I wanted to do and what I wanted in a gym. I knew that I wanted to open up another gym, but I wanted it to be different. And that is when I opened up my last gym that I just sold in October, um, fit method. And it was a boutique gym and it was all group training. So my time wasn't spent me training people all day. It was class-based and membership-based. So everything, it was very, very synonymous to like an orange theory membership model. Okay. And it was amazing. Everything that I believed in when it came to training and functional training and hit all into one and it was a fusion type gym so we had spin and group training and hit training and cardio kickboxing and it was amazing and I loved it um and I I'm glad to say like I, I built that it was just it was an amazing I've learned so much through the process I learned a lot about myself I learned about systems and processes I learned I learned about having a good team behind you which you know I didn't realize it until you know a, a good year in that the people around you are, have to be really valuable and also believe in your product mm. um, and, and so I learned so much with that I made a lot of mistakes but I can honestly say like in the future, if I ever wanted to go down that road again, I have the tools necessary to be able to open up a gym just because I had gone through so much over the last 10 plus years in that arena. Yeah. Um, but I was, you know, I kind of came to a crossroads. It was actually this time last year. I had traveled to Thailand. Um, I went on this like retreat and I did all these things and it, it really forced me to really think about was I happy? I, I was dealing with a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress you know, uh, always worrying about, you know, the overhead of the brick and mortar people. Um, and it was really tough. Like, and, and, and also too, as an owner of a company, you know, you're always paid last. So I can't say that I was even making an amazing lifestyle. I was just always stressed. And the only person that can change that is you. And for me, it's like, okay, I know having a brick and mortar, you're married to it, but Hey, life is so short. I really had to go after the things that I was passionate about. And I knew that I loved helping people and I loved changing lives, but I didn't like the business side of it. I didn't like the, all of the back end stuff, the sales process when it came to memberships and, you know, hiring people. I absolutely despised ever having to fire somebody. It was just not, it's not who I was and it's not what I love to do. And so really coming to terms with that, I, I finally made the conscious decision to, to, to sell and move on. And, you know, everything was really easy and the, the transition was smooth. But I'm so happy I did because 
it really forced me out of my comfort zone and it forced me to level up in my own business, which is now, you know, online and I love motivational speaking and, you know, I'm hosting my first retreat on a tropical island in June and all the things that I always told myself I wanted to do, I actually have the time to do it now and that's what's amazing. Oh man, there's so many things in that story that I want to kind of touch on. First thing, best things in life happen outside your comfort zone. Really happy that you said that um, because too many people were in the situation that you were in last year and then stay in that situation because they feel like they can't get out of it. They feel trapped. They feel like they owe it to themselves to stick into that. Some Somehow it's just something that's programmed in our minds that when you're in something safe and secure that you're not supposed to get out of it. And it's just something that's culturally in, uh, you know, Western, uh, it's just Western culture that says that like, you got to be safe. You know what I mean? Right. You got to play the safe route. And so um, <clears throat> that's one thing. The other thing that I really liked um, that you brought up that um, I don't know if uh, everybody caught this, but she was talking about um, she was talking about having her business, but feeling like she was trapped in her own business. So a lot of people have this misconception that entrepreneurship equals freedom. And that's totally not true. Um, freedom equals freedom. <laughs> so right, the, you, right. can, you can have your own business, like you were saying, Felicia, and, and still feel totally trapped by that business. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and it's so it's so important to make sure that when you're building your business, which sounds like the, 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 the time that you opened the studio where you actually enjoyed doing what you were doing, it sounds like you you took a lot of the lessons that you learned from the previous partnership and put and implemented them into that business because even though it wasn't something that was super ideal, it sounded like you're having a lot more fun doing that rather than what you were doing before, which yeah. is actual freedom to be able to do what you want when you want mm-hmm. and um, and have fun doing it. And so um, there's so man, there's so much stuff in there that, that that I would that I wanted to touch on. Uh, but those were a couple of the things. And then the last thing is that you said that um, last year at this time you were like, okay. I am in this situation currently. I don't want to be in this situation anymore. Mm-hmm. Then you took responsibility for it and basically said, I am the only one that can change where I'm at right now. And that is yeah. such an important mindset shift. Can you talk about that decision? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was, uh, you know, I think when people, and I, I get this a lot, you know, with people who, who are stuck in their, let's say are trapped in their bodies, you know, cause I'm in fitness. So people who maybe can't get to their, hit their goals or stick to a fitness plan. It's, it's one of those things where, you know, the pain is not, is not strong enough for you to make a change. Mm-hmm. And for me, you know, I sat there, I remember being so stressed and, and recognizing the stress, but again, not doing anything about it. And, you know, just thinking that, okay, things are going to get better and I'm going to feel better about the situation. And, and it doesn't, right? And so the pain has to be stronger than the fear. And the that's where I was. And, you know, I, I again had, I think sometimes it's important to take some time to reflect because when you're in it, and I was in it every single day, I didn't really take vacations. I, you know, was married to the business. I was working so many hours. And, you know, again, I was, it was just me. So I was single at the time and I could put in that, that time, but also too, in the back of my head, I wanted all of these other things for myself. That, so, yeah, exactly. That, that's what I was going to pull out is exactly right. what you just said. Like right. it's right. not, it's not just the pain. It's also the fear, but it's not the fear of failure that drove you. It was the fear of regret, right? Exactly. Exactly. Because I didn't want to look back and, and you know, and you're, you're absolutely right. It's just one of those things where I knew I had to make a change and, and you're just, you get to that point where you're just, you're, you're tired, you're sick, you're, you know, you're, you're 
you're tired of feeling that way. So Mm -hmm. the only way to do that is to take action. And I was to that point. Um, you know, and one of my biggest fears as well was letting people down. You know, I had so many people that came to fit method because of me and, you know, I, I had a huge fear of letting others down. I mean, my name was on the building, you know, and which was another mistake of mine was to put my name on the actual building, which was called Felicia Romero's fit method, you know, and that's in a, a tremendous amount of pressure. Um, you know, cause again, I was always expected to be there, you know, and I, in turn, I always felt like I was going to let not only myself down, but I was going to let people down if I chose to move on and leave. And, you know, I finally, you know, made the decision to do that and everybody understands, you know what I mean? And that's the thing is like, I can't always assume that, you know, people are going to be angry. And there's some people were angry, but in the long run, people understand and people move on and it might prompt them to make changes in their life. You know what I mean? To do other things like the trainers that I had, they're off doing their own thing and they're happy and thriving. And at the time they, you know, were, were, you know, in that situation and they were upset that, you know, um, I was moving on and, and, but then again, it forced them to make changes in their life as well. And they're all doing amazing and thriving. And it's, it's, you know, change, like you'd said, change really brings about, um, amazing growth in your life. And that's what that, that's what that did for me. Yeah, totally. Every time I've made a big change in my life, I've seen a big phase of growth right after that change. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that's why I really wanted to, to, to point that out. So moving forward now, Felicia, what, what is the next like decade look like for you? Do you think? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I love, I, I definitely want to position myself as just, just sort of that, that go-to trainer, um, online, but also, you know, I love motivational speaking. I want to continue down that road. I love, uh, love Mel Robbins and everything she is. Um, I know I just love her. I love her philosophy. I love how she's so motivating, but how she's so powerful through her words and her talks and her. So I really, I love that. I want to really transition more into that, um, along with the online training and travel. I love traveling and to see the world and to experience things is definitely on top of the list. I've been fortunate enough to be able to travel, you know, the last 10 years to different countries and see different things. And that for me, I knew that I wanted a life that allowed me to do that. Yeah. So do you have some sort of like a show or, or something like that that you're putting out right now, like YouTube or podcast or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, I definitely have thought about the podcast space. Um, definitely I've started, you know, transitioning more, starting to do more YouTube, um, as of the last couple of weeks and just really putting myself out there. Um, but, but yeah, I've always thought about a podcast. That's something that's always kind of been in the back of my head and something that I would love to do. It sounds like this is something that's about to happen right now because <laughs> I think I think <laughs> yeah. that you would do an amazing job at it. You have an insane wealth of knowledge on all of this stuff, and um, I think that you could grow a following pretty quickly. Plus, it would feed into your motivational speaking stuff. I think yeah. pretty yes. pretty easily. So. Yes. Um, yeah, totally. I think I think that that would be fantastic. So if you're listening to this right now and you see Felicia put out a podcast <laughs> in the next couple of months, you know that it originated here on yes. Build Your Network. <laughs> right. uh, yes, you gave me the the push to do what I wanted yeah, to yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes that's honestly though, like that brings me to a good point is that sometimes people just need permission. You know, yeah. like it's something that you might be toying around with for a long time, but then when somebody's like, "Hey, you should do that," you're like. Yeah, all right. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. It's just, it's so exactly. Funny how, like our how our brains work sometimes. It's just so funny. And I'm sure you run into that a lot, especially in the personal training space too. What is the like 
uh, so that brings me to my next, my next question. What, what is like the most, what, what's the most difficult thing that you've found with people that invest money with you? Like, do, do you find that people that invest money with you are very, very serious about their fitness goals and they usually end up seeing good results? Or do you find that it's just like totally uh, varies from person to person? Oh, I, I definitely would say it varies, but you know, I, I'm a firm believer that that money is, you know, one of the highest forms of commitment. Totally. And when they make that commitment with me, you know, um, and, and, and invest in themselves, they, I, I find that they definitely take it more seriously. Um, one of the hardest things I think that hold a lot of people back and no matter, you know, if it's a high ticket client or, you know, someone who just wants advice and apply it in their own life, it, it's really, um, I would say the mindset that holds them back. And I think that's, you know, can mindset can, you know, cross along the ba- uh, lines of everything that we do, whether it's career, love, uh, relationships with people. Um, and then obviously fitness. Um, it, 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 I think people make things complicated and make things harder than they have to be. And, and I, I, I people get stuck in their own heads and their own habits and routines. And, you know, I think what I really try to teach with a lot of my clients is obviously not giving, obviously giving them the tools and the resources they need, like, you know, like the meal plan and the workouts and stuff, but really it's, it's the, the accountability and getting them past that hump of, consistency. You know, it's like, let's say the weekends are a tough point for them. If they can get past that weekend and not let the weekend be their weekend, mm-hmm. it's it really, they, they start to see these, these transitions in their habits. And it's really, you know, what I see, it's not the food that is the enemy. It is the habits around the food that really lead us to, you know, I, I don't want to say failure, but lead us to not necessarily hitting those fitness goals or getting back to their old self of what they used to do. Failure. <laughs> yeah. yes, don't, don't, don't be afraid to say it Felicia. Yeah. it's failure yeah <laughs> right. um, and yeah. I've, I've been a victim I've been a victim of that myself multiple times and, my, and, and just a quick little background um, I was so I played basketball my entire life so I was always in really good shape I even through college I was playing some college ball and we had two hours of practice every night so then I got injured I got surgery and I stopped playing basketball. I got married the next like six months. And then mm-hmm. my wife started cooking amazing food all the time. And my diet wasn't always super great anyway. So like I kept eating like I was and then just eating more and more and more. And I got up, I'm about six one. I got up to about 250 pounds um, at the end of 2015. And it's been a, a really long journey back down. I'm about 200, 205 right now. Um, and, uh, so I can very much attest to the whole failure thing, but it, it, it is, it is what it is. It's failure because you're, uh, there's a certain commitment level that it takes to get, um, to, to reach those goals. And so, um, it's, it's really cool that, uh, that you are able to help a lot of people see those yeah. things happen. Um, yes. so what, what, what are some of like the different habits that you were talking about that you try to help people create? Yeah. Um, really honestly that, okay. So one of the things that I get a lot of ladies that contact me and again, you know, the more transparent I am uh, online about the issues that I've dealt with, those are the people that I tend to get. So I'm very, very open and vocal about my past days of extreme dieting and binge eating. You know, I had metabolic damage, adrenal fatigue. So I get a lot of inquiry from those people and those people that, you know, contact me are sort of in that mode where they're like, Oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. I can't get a hold of myself, you know. And that's the thing is people 
most people know what to do. They have the resources in front of them. They can, you know, anyone can go online and research a, a meal plan and follow something. Um, but it's really, again, the habits around the food. So what I get most of are, are ladies that um, have really hard time and have really bad relationships with food. Hmm. So first and foremost, I have them, we do, I, I like to do a lot of soul searching, a lot of writing with my clients. So I have them identify what foods are trigger foods for them. Um, for me, obviously we want to get to a place where those trigger foods no longer trigger them. But in the beginning, those are trigger foods. We got to get them out of the house. You know, for me, it used to be peanut butter. I literally would wake up in the middle of the night. I could eat a whole jar of almond butter or peanut butter in the middle of the night and go back to sleep like nothing happened. And that's like, (laughs) thousands of calories and I literally would think what am I doing wrong and I knew what I was doing wrong but I was in so much denial about it and for some reason I thought since it was the middle of the night like you know I was just going to forget about it and go to sleep and it wasn't going to count it doesn't count yeah (laughs) Yeah. I just like I told myself that story for so long and for a lot of people they tell themselves these stories like you know oh you know I, I I've eaten good all day so I can have this in the evening you know which Again, like why reward ourselves with food? It's just food. So we have to like look at food differently. And that's what I try to teach a lot of my clients is create this different relationship with food and look beyond the emotional factors that we surround around it and really just use it for those nutritional purposes. And obviously we want to enjoy it. It's very Mm -hmm. social, but you know, becoming aware and learning ourselves and and stopping when we're full and not eating just because we're bored. Um, and you know, like, you know, we go to the movies, we all want to get popcorn and go, but are you really hungry? Like, do you really want the popcorn? You know? So it's one of those things where you just have to really be aware and learn within yourself. Cause again, no one's going to do it for you. You can have all these accountability tools and coaches around you that are teaching you. But then again, that person, my client is going to have to take the actions necessary to make those changes. And that's what I try to assist with. But again, it's really honestly those habits surrounding the food. So first and foremost, I have them sort of, you know, take out those trigger foods and completely get it out of the house until we kind of come to terms with, you know, their goals, but also, you know, being in control when around those certain foods. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's the biggest thing is being in control. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. As most of you know, I talk a lot about giving value to others. And this podcast is one of the ways that I try to do that since all of the content from the show is totally free. So when people ask me how they can add value to me, one of the ways that I tell them is to head over to iTunes, hit the subscribe button and leave a rating and review. This not only gives me feedback on what you think about the show, but it also helps me with Apple's algorithm. So please, if you haven't done that, head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for the show. It adds tremendous value and it only takes a minute or two of your time. And if you want some more free content from me, head over to three, that's three spelled out, three networkingsecrets.com to watch my free masterclass on the three best kept secrets to building the network of your dreams. I promise that you will not regret it. Have a wonderful rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.